blessed second Sunday in Lent to each and every one of you. In our first reading today, God tests Abraham's faith in an unimaginable way with the sacrifice of Isaac. What do you think? Who's asked to make the bigger sacrifice? Isaac or Abraham? Is it Isaac? He's the one whose life is on the line. He's the one who's carrying the wood up this mountain, seeing the rope, the fire, and the knife, and seems like having to put it all together. It appears that Abraham didn't tell him. He's also the one who asks to question what his dad is doing, but even further, how could God ask his dad to do this? How much does it change, though, whenever we consider how old Isaac is? What's the image that you have in your mind of how old Isaac is? A little nine, ten-year-old being dragged up the hill by his dad? Do you know the scripture actually reveals that Isaac is 37 years old? So he's not being dragged up the hill by his dad, you know, screaming and crying, but he's actually willingly allowing his dad to tie him to the wood as he goes for the knife. It's a whole lot of trust and it's a big sacrifice. But is it Abraham? I mean, come on, any of you parents, to see the sacrifice of your child, would this not have cut the knife right through your own heart? It's this instinctual response without thinking about it that you would trade spots in a moment just to do anything you can to keep from having your child hurt, suffer. To not be able to do this would be a martyrdom in itself. And this is the love of the father, the greatest of sacrifices, to not spare his own son. Scripture also reveals this great insight that Abraham's wife, Sarah, died while Abraham and Isaac were on this journey. And there's this rabbinical tradition that says that she died of sorrow. Of course she did. This story can be seen in the view of trust, and there are some great lessons. But in itself, there is still no getting around that this test from God seems to be cruel, vindictive, and even heartless. What good God would ask this? And that's why this story cannot be read without the cross. It's only in light of Jesus that this story can make sense as a preparation for our salvation. Do you know all the parallels? Here are just a couple. Um, and I'll save the best for last. The first is that the father, Abraham, offers his only beloved son. The second is that the only beloved son, Isaac, in his mid-30s, willingly carries the wood for his own sacrifice on which he is laid. The effects of the sacrifice is number three. At the very end of Genesis 22, this account, it says that because you have done this, all the nations will be blessed through you. We see this fulfilled in God's salvation for the whole world. And then fourth, do you know where this sacrifice takes place? Isaac is sacrificed on Mount Moriah. Does that mean anything? (laughs) It's the same mountain range that surrounds Jerusalem. So tradition says that Abraham offers his son Isaac on the same mountain that God the Father will offer his only son Jesus. And there's more. This is the last one. Do you remember when Isaac is putting the things together? He asks, Dad, where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham responds, God will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Then right before Abraham strikes his son, the angel stays his hand, says, you have proved your faith 
and he provides what sacrifice caught in the thicket? Not a lamb, but a ram. From this, there's this Jewish practice that starts where they took the horn of the ram. It's called a shafar. And they would blow it at these different times. It would be blown at the changing of different months. It would be blown at different liturgical celebrations and especially at Passover. At Passover, where they would take this lamb, male, unblemished, a year old, and at the sacrifice of these lambs at the three o'clock hour in the temple of Jerusalem, there would be a priest who would climb up to the pinnacle corner of the temple and he would blow the shafar. Why? It was to remind God that they were still waiting for him to provide the lamb. Beautiful, huh? So can you imagine that about 2,000 years after the sacrifice of Abraham and Isaac, and to imagine once they have the temple up and running and then restored, these temple priests going up, blowing the shofar every single Passover at the slaughter of the lambs, blowing the shofar, you haven't sent us the lamb, you haven't sent us the lamb, only to have at the time that Jesus, carrying his own cross up that Mount Moriah, Calvary, And there he is, mounted to the wood of his own cross, in a way that on this mountain is able to overlook the temple in Jerusalem, where inside the priests are getting ready to sacrifice these lambs. The gospel writers make this clear, that Jesus was sacrificed at the three o'clock hour when the lambs were being sacrificed for Passover. So, when the priest climbs to the pinnacle point of the temple, he blows the shofar, Jesus is breathing his breath last breath. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that it all comes together, that God fulfills his promise in the perfect way. Who has the greater sacrifice here, the Father or the Son? What's so redemptive about this sacrifice is that they are perfectly united. The Father is blown away at the perfect trust of the Son, and the Son is blown away at the perfect sacrificial love of the Father. And what's our response? It should be the confidence of Paul to the Romans, that if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but handed him over for us all, how will he not also give us everything else along with him? This total confidence has been seen up and down the centuries by faithful Christians, especially the martyrs. One in particular took place in 155 AD. St. Polycarp, a disciple of the beloved disciple John, was sentenced to martyrdom by being burned at the stake. They didn't even need to nail him to the stake, for he was insistent on holding himself there. And then he offered his prayer. Quote, Lord, Almighty God, Father of your beloved and blessed Son, Jesus Christ, I bless you for judging me worthy of this day, this hour, so that in the company of the martyrs I may share the cup of Christ, your anointed one, and so rise again to eternal life in soul and body, immortal through the power of the Holy Spirit. May I be received among the martyrs in your presence today as a rich and pleasing sacrifice. End quote. It's said that when the pyre was lit, the flames came roaring up and actually formed a dome over his body. Surrounded by the fire, his body was like bread that is baked. 
In fact, the smell that came ushering forth was not that of burning flesh, but baking bread. Incredible, right? We can't even imagine it to be true if it weren't for firsthand accounts. So, brothers and sisters, at every Mass, Calvary becomes present. The perfect sacrifice of Jesus to the Father becomes available for us. It was so present to Polycarp that he saw his flesh being united to the Eucharistic flesh of Jesus on the cross. This is participation. And I lament that today it seems like there's this language of a full and active participation, which means for most people, being in the sanctuary or doing the readings, or being an extraordinary minister of Holy Communion, or being in the choir. And if I can't do this, then I'm not really participating. I think there are a lot of people at home um, watching it on their computers and feeling like, I can't participate. And this is so wrong. And my heart is grieved. Because true participation is different. The word in Latin is not so much active participation, as if it's about external busyness but actual participation that not only exteriorly, but especially interiorly, I'm actually uniting my heart, my life, my sacrifices to Jesus. Precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his faithful ones, says Psalm 116. Do we realize this? You and I, for no merit of our own, but just because of God's love for us, are beloved to the Father. But there's something about considering that whenever we die to ourselves, offer our sacrificial um, selves, lives, things going on in our, our world, when we offer that to him, we are precious to him. Do you know what sacrifices you're offering at this Mass? Hopefully it's all of the sufferings of your life, all those afflictions, all of those tested relationships, acts of service that we offered him in the moment, but especially when we bring it to the altar. It's the all at, at the offertory whenever the ushers come around and pass the basket. And that time isn't for collecting money. Principally, it's about bringing all of those things of our life, those sacrifices to the altar. And then it's especially the elevation of the host and the chalice by the priest that I unite my heart with Jesus, that I'm able to be so present to Calvary, so united to the Lord that I can experience this redemption, one for me. Can you imagine? If we had a whole church fully and actually participating by offering themselves to Jesus on Calvary, I think we, if we would have this gift of spiritual hearing, we would hear the shafar being blown. I think if we had the gift of spiritual smell, we'd be overwhelmed by the smell of baking bread. And God bless you.